Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'll be reading from Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Um, Let us pray. Lord, thank you for gathering all of us today here in person and online. Um, Please be with Steve as he delivers today's message, and please soften our hearts as we uh, listen to today's message and help us to recognize um, areas in our lives where anger um, might be lingering that we have not brought to you yet. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Helena. I can still remember how angry I was. I was really angry. I was hot with anger. My friend had cheated and usurped me. I was frustrated. I was annoyed. I was personally hurt. So I picked up a stick and I hit him. He fell to the floor and he ran away crying. What was the context? I was four years old. I was in Uganda, my friend was called Intaro, and the way he cheated or usurped me, as far as I understand, was he took my toy car. Anger, from a young age I knew it, and so did you. We all know it, don't we? Anger boiling up in us and causing us, in my case, to hit my best friend at the time. It was actually the last day I saw him. I never saw him again. He ran off, and soon after, in the months we left, my anger, cause great damage. I'm sure we can all remember times when we get angry. Maybe we boil over with anger. Maybe the anger was righteous, like maybe he did take my car in a way that he shouldn't have done, you know? Uh, Maybe it was unrighteous. It was just an act of spite and selfishness. But angry and getting angry is something we all experience. So what should we do when we get angry? How should we act? How can we ensure our anger doesn't boil over and that we channel it and calm it so it doesn't become destructive? Or on the flip side, how do we ensure the anger doesn't get buried and remains undealt with, which just means our hearts become hard and numb? When when anger boils over, the destruction is immediate and obvious, but when anger gets buried, the destruction Destruction is longer term and no less dangerous as we become cynical and bitter. 
So today we're going to think about how to avoid the two pitfalls of boiling over in anger and suppressing anger by how, thinking through the Psalm 137 that says, how can we pray our anger? How can we channel our anger in a healthy and holy way? I think there still is today a lingering false idea that to be angry is a sign of immaturity as a Christian. It can be, of course. But the Psalms and Scripture in general say, no, no, no. Anger, there needs to be nothing immature about it. It doesn't seem to be a negative thing. Always we regularly see, regularly see God getting angry at injustice and evil and suffering and betrayal and abuse and all kinds of atrocities. If God didn't get angry, he's not a righteous God and we shouldn't worship him. And so when Jesus walked this earth, he got angry. Mark chapter 3, at the hard and stubborn hearts of the Pharisees. Mark chapter 11, at the hypocrisy and the money-making in the temple. Yes, there are times when our anger is not righteous. It's we're angry in an attempt to protect our little egos and empires. And we're angry because we're not the big noise at the party and someone else is. Yes, yes, anger can be immature and self-centered. But oftentimes, anger comes because we've been robbed or cheated or slighted or abused or snubbed or victimized in some way. And the anger is righteous. So how do we pray when we get angry? Psalm 137 tells us to do three things. It tells you to own your anger in the presence of God. To express your anger to God and to leave your anger with God. So own your anger in the presence of God. Why is the psalmist so angry? I can see four reasons. The first one is he's tormented and ridiculed. Verses one to three, he's been taken captive in the devastating exile of 587 BC. The Babylonians ransacked Jerusalem. They ravished their women. They left the children on the streets to die and they took all the able-bodied people and the clever into exile, people like Daniel. And now those people are all left alone and desperate and devastated, gathered by the rivers of Babylon. There's nowhere for them to worship, trying to come to terms with what's happened. And as they process the trauma and the pain, they're then ridiculed and tormented by their catchers who say, sing us one of the songs from your precious Zion, Jerusalem. They're being mocked. And mockery, when you're mocked, it goes right to the heart, doesn't it? When someone mocks you. You've been treated wrong and now you're being mocked for it. You can understand why these people were angry. They were also confused and in anguish. Like, how can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? It's a genuine question. This is not a time for singing, but for weeping. There's not a time for joy, but for mourning. They're confused. How should we act? How should we treat these tormentors? How should we view the devastated homeland? How should we view this new empire, Babylon, that destroyed us, but now we're sort of living amongst it? What does the future hold? If you find yourself in a place of confusion and anguish, with no easy way out and no end in sight, something we often experienced in lockdown, didn't we? It's easy to become angry because you can't fix it. You can't solve it. You can't, you, you can't have a solution. You can't go, well, yeah, just do these three, four, five things. And, and so you just get angry. It boils over. They're also belittled and betrayed. The psalmist in verse 7 moves his thoughts to the Edomites, to Edom. 
and how they reacted when Jerusalem was being destroyed by the Babylonians. Now, the Edomites were descendants from Esau, the brother of Jacob. So these were, you know, Israel and Edom were cousins. They were family members. They shared the same blood. They had the same ancestors. But ill feelings ran deep. Do you remember Esau was a hunter and he, lo- he was loved by his father Isaac and Jacob was a quiet man and was loved by his mother Rebekah. And one day in a moment of compulsive stupidity, Esau sold his birthright as the older son to Jacob for some stew. We're, we're talking about anger today. Well, Esau was hangry, you know? <laughs> he, he was hungry and angry. And therefore his brother Jacob had, in his eyes anyway, cheated him. But that wasn't all. Later on, when Isaac is about to die, Jacob, under his mother's guidance, tricks Esau to receive his father's blessing. He puts on animal skin, so he appears hairy like Esau. And so the brothers become enemies. And Jacob had to flee. And so years later, the ill feeling was felt between the two families. When Israel came out of Egypt and looked for safe passage through Edom, they were denied. The elder brother did not help them come out of slavery. And worse still, we read from other passages of the scriptures, Jeremiah 49, the book of Obadiah, the Edomites gloated over Israel's fort and they even went into Jerusalem and enjoyed the plunder from the Babylonians. See, that's what anger does in families. A family member hurts you, you want to get it back. You can paper over the cracks, but those ill feelings and those hurts are not easily mended. Sure, time is a healer, but time doesn't normally completely heal. There needs to be more, as the story of Edom and Israel shows. So verse 7, tear it down, they cried. They gloated and encouraged the downfall of their younger brother. If being tormented and ridiculed by an enemy doesn't get you angry, being belittled and betrayed by your older brother in your hour of need certainly will make you angry. Now, many people I know, as I've pastored now for 15 plus years, longer, it's amazing how anger from family hurt is dictating their present and their future. It can last generations. I mean, Edom and Israel, they're so, but it's lasted, it's stuck in. So we need to know, how do I process when my family has caused me so much harm? Or when I'm still at odds with a sibling or a mum or dad or whoever? It's tricky, isn't it? We get angry. It gets buried. It can dictate who we become. We've got to learn how to pray it. And finally, tormented and ridiculed, confusing and anguished, belittled and betrayed, finally abused and victimized. We're going to consider this more in a moment this very astonishing phrase. But he says, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. The psalmist is asking that the same evil that was done against them would come down on the heads of the Babylonians themselves. May they experience the trauma that you made us experience. And what was the worst of the Babylonian savagery? What was the worst thing they did to Israel? Well, the psalmist says, happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. The Israelites remember the women being raped the city being destroyed, the blood of the innocent flowing down Jerusalem. And what was worse, the most innocent person in the society, the children, were smashed against the rocks. And by the way, this isn't something that barbaric ancient civilizations did. There's an account of Stubath Haller who mentions the method 
used in the Second World War at Bromberg's, quote, to take the Jewish children by their feet and break their heads by striking them against the wall. Over the past few years, we've started to hear the voices of the victims and the abused, haven't we? People that were victims of injustice and evil. Whether it's the voices of anger from the mother and baby homes here in Ireland, women forced to give up their babies because they were born out of wedlock. The voices of those who express pain of the racial injustice sort of that emerged that voice after the death of George Floyd. The voice of anger of those who have been, you know, women who have been victims of violence after the death of Sarah Everard. Well, here's another voice from history. Someone that was abused and victimized and we need to hear their voice and we need to acknowledge that what has happened to them needs to be recognized and judged as evil. For many of us, our anger may not come from being victims of abuse, though the stories seem to keep coming out. But we've all been mistreated at some point by someone. So what can we learn from the psalmist? Firstly, own your anger. In other words, understand it. Come to terms with it. Be real with it. But where? Psalm 137 is a prayer, a corporate prayer of God's people in the presence of God. Whether it's torment, ridicule, confusion, anguish, mockery, betrayal, abuse, or savagery, whatever you have experienced, if you don't come to terms with your anger in the presence of God, your anger will eat away at you like it did to the Edomites who hadn't let go of it and they ended up going after their little brother. You can be safe. You can be as raw as this psalm is in the presence of God with your anger. The psalm is alive with pain. The wounds are raw. The cruelty is despicable. You need a place to process that and say to God, yeah, this is how it is. And he says, yeah, I'm listening. So firstly, own your anger in the presence of God. Secondly, express your anger to God. Now, you might be going, what's the difference between owning your anger in the presence of God and expressing your anger to God? Well, the first one is more about us actually coming to terms with ourselves, that we are angry, that we have, things have happened to us, or life has gone in a certain way, and there is actually anger there. And we need to just own and be real about that in God's presence, knowing it's safe to be real and raw with God. The second point is when we do understand and come to terms with the things that are lodged in our hearts, that we learn how to express that to God. I said at the start, if not managed well, anger becomes destructive. You know, we bury it and our hearts become hard or it boils over and we retaliate. But that doesn't mean the anger itself is wrong. As I said, Paul says to the Ephesians, be angry. He's actually commanding them in the face of injustice or things. Be angry, do not sin, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and, and give no opportunity to the devil. So Paul says, yes, be angry. When something you love is spoiled, when a person you love is abused, when a righteous cause you love is trampled on, when anything that is good and holy and pure and beautiful is defiled, whether a person, a thing, or an idea, be angry, righteously angry, like Jesus was, but do not sin. How do you not sin? Don't brood on your anger. Don't let it get in there. Don't just dwell on it. Don't let it fester. Don't let the sun go down. Now, we don't have to panic. Oh, the sun's going down. I haven't dealt with my... No, but the point is be active in dealing with 
your anger and deal with it as in a short amount of time is as possible. If you can do it within every 24-hour period before the sun goes down, hallelujah. We don't have to, it's, it's a turn of phrase. We don't have to take it literally in the sense of legalistically. But the point is we have to actively pursue our hearts to deal with the anger and to deal with the person or the situation. Because if you don't, what happens, we don't get straight into sin. Before you get into sin, the devil gets a foothold that will lead you into sin. Your anger in your heart that is undealt with is a way the devil goes, oh, I've lodged a bit of darkness in this person. And I can spread that darkness. And, I can, and suddenly, a little bit of righteous anger can be self-pity, hatred, bitterness, cynicism, retaliation, vengeance. A whole host of other things are spread in that dark little pocket you gave the devil, the foothold, and suddenly your heart, yeah, it's, you see how anger works? And what then happens is, if you don't own your anger and express your anger in the presence of God, you will probably take it out on someone you love who may never have anything to do with why you're angry. A sibling, a spouse, a child, a dog in your home. Someone will get the anger, won't they? In other words, your anger will get expressed at the wrong time in the wrong way to the wrong person. So express your anger to God. Be white hot with him. Let the emotions be intense and raw. It's okay. He can handle it. Own your anger to God. In the presence of God, express your anger to God. Finally, leave your anger with God. In line with Jesus' teaching of nonviolence, retaliation in, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Apostle Paul would say to the Roman church, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, many people have, and you may be asking, how does Psalm 137 match up to the Sermon on the Mount and Romans 12? Here's how. Psalm 137 is a prayer asking God to bring justice in the face of horrendous evil. It is not a statement of what the psalmist will do, but a prayer that God would act justly. So remember verse 7. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did. And that phrase, remember, Lord, is a legal term, a formula for setting a case before a judge in court. The plaintiff is making his case, bringing forward the evidence and the facts as to why the judge, the Lord, should act. The plaintiff is not saying, I'm going to action the plan. He's saying, Lord, this is why you should action the plan. And verse 8, the plaintiff is a man who knows the legal system very well and he knows what the Old Testament famous legal process called the lex talions. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. This was the Old Testament way to ensure there was no miscarriage of justice. Justice should be exact, not more, not less. Of, of course, the victim can decide if they want to be merciful to the abuser, but the role of the law is to ensure justice is done. So the psalmist takes the lex talion's principle and recites it back to the judge of the earth and says, would well, you remember what the, 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 the Babylonians did to us? Happy is those who repay God, do, we had our babies bashed on the rocks. For justice to be done, they need to have their babies bashed on the rocks. And the word happy is, is not, it's not helpful. It's the same word for blessed. And it can also mean straight. Like, it's right when justice is. And happy doesn't capture it, especially not in our world. It's good 
So when Paul says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, his mind to revenge, I will pay, says the Lord. The psalmist knows he's not going to get the Babylonians back, but he's leaving room for God's wrath and saying, you do it, God, in the right way, at the right time, with the right motives, but here's how I understand what's gone on, Lord. He's just being real. You, the God of all the earth, the judge of all mankind, in your wisdom, justice, mercy, and love, I leave you to do the right thing. The only way the psalmist can keep worshiping God and overcome the evil, rather than be overcome by evil, is to know that God will bring justice, and he doesn't have to, but he can express what he thinks justice is to the Lord. The only way the psalmist can love his tormentors and love the enemies is to know that God is the one who can rightly bring vengeance. So the psalmist, in a sense, is at the end of this now just leaving it. You know, there is no nice conclusion to the psalm. That's the last verse. Why? Because he's now left. He said what he needed to say, and he leaves it with the Lord, and he can be free from his anger. His anger doesn't consume him nor control him because he's left his anger with the Lord in prayer. So other, pers- other parts of the Old Testament said the, these, these, these exiles were to seek the peace and prosperity of their city. Of which city? The Babylonian city. How? Because they dealt with their anger. They could actually now love and invest in the city that had once, you know, the enemies that had once destroyed Jerusalem. So we finished by considering another moment of savagery in Jerusalem around 600 years later. Another innocent victim would face torment, ridicule. He'd be exiled. He'd be in anguish. He'd be belittled, mocked, wouldn't he? You saved others. Why can't you save yourself? He was abused. Most likely he was crucified naked and the whole stripping scene that the the Roman centurions do, we read in the Gospels, may well have been sexual abuse. And he was, a vi- he was victimized. And who was he? The God of perfect love and justice. He was the only innocent one. He was the only one who didn't deserve to suffer. And yet he was torn down. He was dashed on the rocks. Why? Where we deserve to be paid back for the wrongs we have done. We are offered mercy and grace, but, but the penalty of the law was paid and justice was satisfied at the cross. At the cross, we see what it cost God in Christ to deal with all enmity in our world, whether it's between heaven and earth, between me and God, between me and my fellow human, between the Edomites and the Israelites, the Babylonians or other powerful people today that victimize and abuse people. On the cross, the crucified God satisfies all cries for absolute justice by taking all the anger of our world into himself. And by his wounds, Isaiah says, we can be healed of our anger, of our hard hearts, of our desire for vengeance. The cross says there'll be no miscarriage of justice. You can leave it with God and he'll do the right thing one day. The God who suffered, who allows us to suffer, suffers with us and for us. And he promises one day to end all suffering at the right time, in the right way, for the right ends. 
and those that know Jesus and have accepted him through, by faith will be safe from that final day of anger when God comes to bring justice to our world. When you know what it costs God to deal with the injustice in our world and to deal with anger in our hearts and what it costs him to be nailed to a cross for us, it helps you trust him and hold on to him when you get angry. And it helps you be able to leave things with him when you can't fully understand it all. And you don't have, your anger doesn't have to dictate your future. So Psalm 137 and the cross of Jesus tell us to own our anger, understand it, be real with it in the presence of God, to express our anger with white-hot emotion if you need to, to God, but then leave it with him. In your anger, do not sin. Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me pray. Lord, you're the judge of of all the earth and you see right into our hearts. Right now, you know every one of our hearts and you know where anger has got in. Whether it was a family member, a friend, someone in, in the workplace, something from when we were growing up, something from this week, whenever it was. And you can see where we haven't allowed you in. So Lord, we we just pray now by your spirit you'd help us to be real with you about the things where there is vengeance and there is retaliation or there is self-pity or there is a hard heart or cynicism or whatever it is. And we pray, Lord, you'd help us to express that to you and to other believers that we can trust. And we pray you'd, you'd help us to leave it with you knowing that you'll do the right thing with those areas where we've, we feel we've been the victim of injustice. And we thank you, Jesus. We see all that you did for us to, to, to bring healing to our hearts and our lives and this world, to, to end all enmity and to, to deal with anything that divides us in our world or in our hearts or that divides, anything us, divides us from you, that separates us from you. You came to deal with all of that and our sin so we can be forgiven. So we pray as we, as we reflect now, Holy Spirit, and as we listen to these wonderful truths being sung over us, you'd minister to our hearts, setting us free. We don't want to be captives, Lord, to anger. We don't want to give the devil a foothold. So set us free now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.